And we are back. Welcome back to Tradman, everybody. We've got Welcome a back. very special guest. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, Mark. How you doing today? So you're back at home finally. We got you anchored. Yeah. You're no so longer I, on the road, right? Yeah, so I don't have a hotel window behind me this time. So I've I've just got the blank wall behind me. And I've got to quit telling people when I do my little solo episodes, when you're out on the road, I got to quit telling people that you're traveling. Cause it's like, and here's directions to his house. If you feel like you want to break in and <laughs> I got to quit doing that. I just got to be like, look, I can't tell you where he is. It's classified. Okay. We got G16. a 16. <laughs> we got a very special guest with us tonight. Um, Amanda Lauer, who is an author and uh, Jason, you've got her whole bio and I'm going to let you introduce her um as to after we do our opening prayer but it's a really exciting show um something that i think both of us are are, are pretty excited to talk to amanda uh, about what about what she's been doing and about her apostolate um but of course we want to start off with a prayer and there have been just some horrible things that have been going on in our country catholic churches around the country are being vandalized um, the blessed sacrament is being desecrated and so we thought that this might be a good opportunity for us to um uh, say a, some some special prayers or a special prayer to uh, in reparation of the Blessed Sacrament. Now, this prayer that we have here on the screen um, from Pope, is from Pope Pius VII, and he granted an indulgence to everyone who, with contrition for his or her sins and with devotion, will say the following act of reparation to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So we invite all of our listeners to join along with us as we uh, pray this prayer of reparation and embark on what I think will be a very edifying discussion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus, my God, my Savior, true God and true man, with that most profound homage with which the faith itself inspires me, I adore and love thee with my whole heart, enclosed in the most august sacrament of the altar, in reparation for all the acts of irreverence, profanation, and sacrilege, which I may ever have been so unhappy as to have committed, as well as for all such like acts that have ever been done, or which may be done, through God though God forbid they should be in ages yet to come. I adore thee, therefore, my God, not indeed as thou deserves, or as much as I am bound to adore, but as far as I am able. And I would that I could adore thee with all the perfection of which all reasonable persons are capable. Meantime, I purpose now and ever to adore thee, not only for those Catholics who adore thee not and love thee not, but also in the stead of and for the conversion of all heretics, schismatics, impious atheists, blasphemers, impostors, Mohammedans, Jews, and idolaters, Jesus, my God, mayest thou be ever known, adored, loved, and praised every moment in the most holy and divine sacrament. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Before everybody gets upset, yes, I said Mohammedans, Jews, but I also said Catholics. <laughs> so everybody just calm down. Okay, we've got a great show. Jason, why don't you introduce our guest yeah. real quick, because I'm excited. So Amanda Lahr is the author of the award-winning and best-selling Heaven Intended Civil War series, which include the books A World Such as Heaven Intended, A Life Such as Heaven Intended, and A Love Such as Heaven Intended, and A Freedom Such as Heaven Intended. Amanda also collaborated on the children's book, Dubby, The Double-Headed Eagle with Archduke Edward Habsburg. Anything But Groovy, a time travel adventure which takes a modern teen and transport, transports her into her mother's 1974 teen life, was released in 2021, 
followed by her story, Lucky and Blessed, which is part of the treasures, Visible and Invisible, <clears throat> uh, Young Author Anthology. Amanda also copies, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Amanda also copy edits movies, screenplays, and is a co-author of the movie The Islands, which earned her and her team the 2020 Red Letter Awards Best Writer Award. Welcome, Amanda. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here today. I, I have to tell you, the show is called Trad Men, mostly just because Jason and I are not that creative. And <laughs> And, and like the idea is we would be the men in the show, but the show is not just for men or just right. about man issues or, or issues relating to men. It, it's, it's, so we're very honored to have our trad women come and join us uh, and, and, and definitely speak for, uh, give us a perspective on a, the female perspective, which is a very important part of the church. And so I definitely want to thank you for coming on and, and being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate the offer. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I just want to say I, I uh, came across Amanda on Twitter one day. I I, I guess this through a comment or or whatever I'd come across, and and uh, I saw you know that you were an author and everything. And uh, I know my daughter enjoys reading what she calls Catholic romance novels or yeah. you know uh, books that deal with that faith because of course in today's culture and today's media, we're very picky on what we allow her to read and watch you know all of our children because there's so much uh things out there that would pollute their minds if we allow it right, right. so uh i i know she had read another series of books i can't think of the name of them and then we came across yours and uh she's read the first two she's on the third and she says she's really enjoying uh uh, the, the series. So, uh, you know, for me as a parent, I thank you for putting out these, these types of, uh, books, these type, this type of media that our kids, you know, can read and have a love for reading and imagination without having to worry about the, the filth that is in the world polluting their young adapting minds. Right. It's, it's, I'm just so blessed and lucky that I have been given this talent to bring these stories to light. And it's something that the reason I'm writing them is because I'm writing the books that I was looking for. I remember as a teenager being introduced to historic romance, which I love, and there's some amazing authors out there, but they were what was called bodice rippers, you know what that term means. So they weren't exactly the cleanest things in the world. And I wasn't comfortable reading things like that, but the stories were so so compelling. I always thought, I wish people would write clean stories, clean love stories, clean historic um, novels. And so, you know, one day it, it turned out to be me. I just made that step and decided I was going to do it with a lot of help from God on the way and the Blessed Mother, who's my agent, I should mention, give her a shout out. And um, yeah, and once I, I got the first one out, I was just, I thought it was one and done. I thought, you know, I'm a journalist and I think every journalist has a goal to write a book someday. Right. And I got my book out and I thought my life was complete. And then like three days later, people were saying, when is the sequel coming out? And I'm like, there's no sequel. This is difficult. I mean, to sit and write, to sit down and write a, a, a book or even really a story is not I can't even tell you how many books I'm going to write one day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so 
Is this something, is this a talent you've always known you've had, even since you were a child, you were just good at, at, you know, at, at formulating stories or things like that, or you were a good writer, or is did, did this come about completely by surprise that I have this I would say talent? completely by surprise, but kind of the bottom line is I'm an avid reader. So when I was a kid, I went to a really small Catholic school, you know, every grade in one building. And um, our principal wasn't a sister and she was also the librarian. So we're still friends to this day and she's probably in her eighties or something. But I think I read every book in, in the school library. And you know, occasionally I would collaborate with friends writing different fun little things, but I never thought I was like the lead writer or the, or the most talented or anything. And basically what happened is I went into a career of proofreading and um, took off 15 years from that career to raise our four children, to get them all into school. And then after that, I went back to proofreading again for a, a, a big, uh, well, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, basically in Wisconsin, they had several, uh, many regional newspapers. And after proofreading thousands of stories, I learned how to write stories, how to write newspaper articles. And so I threw my name in the hat to help them out because they were short beat, beat writers, what they would call it, and um, just started writing all sorts of things. At first, it was um, I was covering high school football. I was the only woman, I think, at the time doing it. And from there, I just expanded into all different fields. And after 9-11, they shut down all the regional papers um, through that organization because of the advertising industry was kind of in a funk. And I went out on my own and just started writing um, for various, probably about two dozen different newspapers, just freelancing. And through that, I happened to meet a girl who was, uh, uh, well, I met her husband. I was shooting a photo of her husband. He's a business owner. And he was telling me his wife had a, had, was, was writing a book and she actually had a an agent in New York City. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to meet this girl because I always wanted to write a book. And, you know, after learning how to write the articles, I, I figured I could write someone. I had some good talent in it. And yeah, so we ended up getting together and we actually got coffee once a month for two years and we would exchange an art, uh, one chapter of a book. She was writing a book, I was writing a book. And then, so after two years, I had a full book. And then it was, then comes the fun part. You think writing a book is hard? Wait till you try to, you know, find someone to actually publish the book that she wrote. That's that takes years and you don't have the control over it. That's the hard part. So has yeah, that gotten, he, has that gotten easier as like, you know, the web and, and technology becomes more and more accessible or is it, is it still the same challenges of, well, what? yeah, technically it's easier because it's way easier to find the, the people who are the publishers and to tell you the truth, how I found my publisher eventually was, I believe it was through uh, Facebook. I just kind of threw it out there. I'm looking, I have written a Catholic centric civil war novel, and I'm trying to find a, somebody who publishes Catholic fiction, which is not easy to find. It's getting a little easier now, but back when this was published in 2014, it wasn't that easy. Um, luckily someone, and I don't remember who this was. I wish I could thank them. I, I just don't remember who it was, but they introduced me to a gal named Ellen Gable, who her and her husband own a, what you'd say a boutique publishing house. She's from the U.S., but he's from Canada. So she, when she, when they got married, she moved to Canada and they opened this boutique Catholic publishing house. So they publish Catholic fiction. And um, 
and it's kind of even a more interesting story too, is how I got into the YA, which is young adult fiction is I, when I wrote that civil war book, I thought it was just for adults, even though I, I wrote it clean, uh, not a lot of violence or anything. So really anybody from middle school and up could read it, but there happened to be this huge Catholic it's called Kayla, C-A-L-A, the Catholic Arts and Letters, this huge award that they give out every year for Catholic books. And I, my book had been entered into this contest in the adult, well, it was going to go into the adult range. And then my publisher, another person she was publishing, had a book also in the same category. And she's like, I don't want my two people going head to head. She said, we're going we're gonna to call you a young adult author now. I'm like, oh, okay. Sounds good. So coincidentally, we both did end up winning. So I got the Catholic Arts and Letters Award for Young Adult Fiction for the year 2016, uh, which is that's excellent. It's, it's beautiful. I'm, yeah. I'm so proud. I mean, the competition is fierce. So I'm very, very happy that yeah. I got the award. So, um, but yeah. So, so let me. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Because I because I, I have questions too, but I'm gonna wait. So okay. uh, you know, <laughs> just a couple things, uh, a couple questions for you. You know, but for, uh, well, I, I guess I'll get to that part later. So my two questions uh, to you, as I kind of want to get into the, your, your series, uh, Heaven Intended series. Um, I know that, you know, the your faith is part of the book, along with the historical fiction of the Civil War. What inspired you to do a historical fiction in that era? And then, and then as a follow-up to that, in these books, why is it important to you to include your faith? Because right, because you could write a historical fiction and not include any faith in the book, and it still be a fine, clean, you know, book mm -hmm. that children, the young children can read. So, what? Why was it important to you to include those aspects of your faith? Right. So, your first question is why did I write from that era, like the Civil War or something? I believe was the first question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So basically I had met a gentleman when I was writing for a newspaper and he had a, just a house full of um, memorabilia from the civil war, including a picture of his great, great, great uncle, his great, great uncle, not only the picture, but letters he had sent home during the war. I mean, he was the true American hero. And he told me the story about his uncle's experiences in the war. And ever since I had heard this story, and that was probably back in, it could have been like 2004 or something. I always thought someone needs to write this, this gentleman's story. It is such an incredible story. It's so inspiring. And then I've seen so many, um, you know, movies, read so many books. I've never seen a story like this. It was so unique. And so I always had that in the back of my head and I love history in general, but particularly civil war history, um, world war one, world war two. I haven't written in those eras, but I would like to someday. So when it came time to pick a subject to write about, and I was kind of under the gun because I had to meet this gal for coffee at one o'clock in the afternoon. I had known about this for six weeks, you know, typical writers, right? And I had nothing <laughs> in like mind. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's going to be this Civil War book. At least I have a little bit of the real story to go on. I don't have to completely make it up. So that's why I ended up doing that. So now to go back into why, it, why I chose to bring the faith element into the story is because I mean, my faith is my life and it just, I felt comfortable writing in this, in this genre because it's what I knew. And like the, the book was even rejected by traditional publishers because 
they were like kind of astounded that there was Catholics in the civil war. Like it was news to them apparently. Um, and they, you know, they asked me if I would change it to something more traditional. Most, most of them are like Baptists, things like that during the civil war. And I said, I can't, this is a, a real, like the priest in this book is a real priest who was so instrumental in saving so many lives in the civil war. I can't just completely write him out of the book. And so, um, but as far as, as like kind of weaving the Catholicism into the book, I didn't make them, these people are very normal people. They're not preachy. They're not trying to evangelize per se. They're trying to be the best Catholics they can be. And they're trying to be a better version of themselves every day, as we say. And so it was just natural for her, like to have the rosary that she was, so this young lady was volunteering at her uncle's uh, civil war a hospital and she would just always carry the rosary on her and she'd be praying as she was doing her her duties and like the gentleman that she you know kind of falls for she sees that he has a crucifix on a chain around his neck and she realizes that he's catholic she knew it and so the interesting thing is that they are on the opposite side of the war they didn't even know it at the time well he he knew it but when she was tending him, this this gentleman, when he was injured, she thought he was a, a Southern soldier. She was from the South. She was from Georgia, Atlanta. And um, she thought she was just taking care of another Southern soldier. She didn't realize he was actually for the, from the North. Not to get too much into the story, but basically what this gentleman's story, the, the true story is this gentleman was from the North. He and a buddy went down to Texas in 1859 and, and bought ranching land to start ranching. And when the war broke out, they were supplying meat to the Confederate troops because they did not want to fight for the South because they were both from the North. And Nathan, his younger brothers were actually fighting for the North too. He knew that. So he did not want to be shooting at his own brothers. So they supplied, supplied meat until 1864 and there was a terrible outbreak of the measles. And so on both sides, they were conscripting men against their will to fight. So he and his his ranching partner, Dominic, were rounded up with a whole bunch of other guys from Texas, and they were shipped off to Tennessee to replace this regiment. And um, his num they're both of their goals basically was to escape the Southern Army to get to the side of the North, which is way harder than it you can imagine because you're wearing a Southern uniform and you're trying to walk into Northern camp. They're not super friendly about that. They have a tendency to fire first and ask <laughs> questions later. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, so she, he ended up being injured when he was still fighting for the South and that's how they met originally. And when she finds out that he's not actually a Southern soldier, uh, the sparks fly and there's a lot of animosity and she's very, very angry with him. But the one thing she realizes is the thing they have in common is their Catholic faith. And they have to depend on that. They have to create that common ground, that common ground to save each other's lives as the war goes on. So I don't want to give you too much more away. Have well, to ask your daughter. She read it already. <laughs> well, I would, you know, and and that kind of story to a young kid, I would imagine, e even though it may not be, you know, a, a nonfiction, you know, it's historical fiction that would inspire these these kids particularly these young girls as they grow older and if they see their vocation into you know married life hey you know my my our faith 
is what is what's going to hold this marriage and 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 bring us together versus all these externals that the world is telling us that you need to have a successful marriage right so so putting so putting that message in these uh, young kids mind that read your book i think is is a very, very good thing. So do you think, do, do you ever view the books you write as a form of evangelization for the oh, younger generation? Absolutely. Um, people of all faiths read my books. It's not, it's not just people who are Catholic who read them and the evangelization that I do, it's very subtle. I want people to have a very positive view of the Catholic church and I want to kind of demystify it and a lot of things are explained. If you if if you read the whole set, people will learn a lot about the Catholic faith, and especially at that time frame. Um, so yeah, so it's it's evangelizing, but it's in a gentle way. And I I really think a lot of kids are reading this and taking this to heart, and looking at the big picture. Like you said, it's it's not all these little things. It's the bigger picture is your faith. And the funny thing is that. Um, young men and young ladies seem to really love these stories um, because the books are told in a unique way. Every other chapter is told from first the girl's perspective and then the guy's perspective. So the girl is on the home front, the guy is on the war front. And you're only in two people's heads in the whole book. And so every other chapter you're switching heads and going back and forth between the guy and the girl. I think that's why these appeal to, to young men and men in general too, because it's very interesting to see what they were going through, what their life was like to be on, on the war front and, and how they were both growing as the time went on, as the war went on. So, well, there's two things I want to bring up. One, I'm a civil war nut. So you, you had me right away with, with the, with the subject matter here. But the second thing is that I have found in literature, when you, when you get rid of the sort of, um, well, you know, the, 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 the titillating extras, the violence, the sex, the things that are just sort of a, to appeal to our more basis, our more, our more base instincts. When you get rid of that stuff, you can really start to explore ideas, themes, um, which, which I, I think back to the work of like uh, Dostoevsky, who would, who would set his novels in, in Russian historical settings but they weren't really about what was going on at that time. It was an exploration of Russian Orthodox Christian ideas and, and, and how the characters struggle to implement those ideas and whether those ideas are good ideas or bad ideas. They became, he became a philosophical, you know, genius and one of the great literary minds of, of our time of, of any time really. And mm -hmm. I, th I think what you've done here is so on point because Many times I don't, th you know, when you're a Catholic, it's not just a denomination of Christianity. This it's more than just a thing we do for an hour on Sunday. It's a, it's, it, it governs every aspect of our lives. And so when you have these characters who are at very difficult junctures in American history, maybe something similar to the one we find ourselves in right now, right. and they're exploring ways that they can, um, implement these Catholic ideas, it takes a reader, it, it, it takes a, a moment for a reader to put the book down and think about, hmm, well, is human life really sacred if we're all just offing ourselves by the hundreds of thousands out here at Gettysburg? And, and how do we, how do we 
reconcile some of these ideas about faith and 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 transcendence and 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 Christ as I'm killing my Catholic brother who's across the field over here. It's very deep and these are not simple things to think about, right? right. They're very difficult right. concepts. And so I, I think that this is so, so great what you've done here. And I, I'm a big, like I said, big Civil War buff. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of what you've done and I think uh, is very important. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's very kind. Do you, do you, in, in your, in your experience in writing these things, have you found that, that it's the ideas that really, I, I hate to use the word ideas because you could talk about a lot of different things, theology and, and philosophy and things like that. So I'll just use the word ideas as a summation of all these things. Do you find that those things get to shine forth a little bit more when you get rid of, you know, some of the fluff? Well, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, like you said, these stories I mean, a love story is a love story. If it's a classic, a beautiful love story, it can be set in any era. So, yeah, I, I, I like to, like you said, to not, oh, I'm sort of like blanking on how to say this, but to, to take away the stuff that doesn't have to be there. I want people to also use their imaginations too. Mm. And you don't have to describe every single thing that goes on. Mm, and, right. and I like people to kind of learn and grow from these books too. And I will say there's a lot of learning. I try not to make it like it's a, a history lesson or something too, but I want people to learn more about even the civil war. It's not black and white. It's not cut and dried. Yeah. It's a lot more complicated than people want to make it seem. People want sure. to whitewash history or something like that. But there was two very, uh, very distinct sides. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly how people, it wasn't all about slavery. Let's put it that way. There, there was a lot more issues involved in that. And so I really want people to read and learn and to dig into history more maybe find some stuff out on their own that they're not getting in a typical history book in a class or something. And the, the same thing with the faith too. Um, I put stuff in there. I have a new book coming out uh, after the first year, which is um, a time travel set in Scotland in 1691. Interesting. Yeah. And the so glorious revolution. So-called so-called glorious revolution. Well, it's, it's set during the time of the Glencoe Massacre, if anybody knows what that is. So this girl, this 17-year-old girl working at a golf course in the United States gets struck by lightning and wakes up on a golf course, the oldest golf course in the world in Scotland, surrounded by men in kilts. Uh, so it's, it's, it, there's some humor woven into this too. But there's a lot of, she learns so much about her faith when she's in Scotland because the old time, because these people are doing the traditional, obviously the traditional Latin mass, everybody was at the time. And um, she listens to these sermons from this, this priest and he, he tells it like it is, he, you know, and she, she's like, so shocked. Like, did they change the rules in the Catholic church or is this really <laughs> what the church believes? What a brilliant way <laughs> to approach that subject. Oh my That's gosh. I've had, some beta, I've, I've had a bunch of beta readers reading it and like one person is who read it is of a different faith and she's like is that really what the catholic faith oh like you might want to just tone that down i don't i don't like um, interesting i want to tone that down but thanks for the advice you know i'll, I'll think about it 
I got it. <laughs> it really is what the Catholic Church teaches, even to this day, even though it kind of seems maybe it's old fashioned. Which seems like, not... like your book yeah. did what I was talking about. I mean, it, it's not just a, this is what the Catholic Church teaches and this is what you ought to. Look, some of the ideas that the Catholic Church proclaims do make people say, um, I mean, go back and read the Bible. The earliest apostles, 90% of their dialogue before the resurrection was, shouldn't we tone that down a little bit? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. That's 90% yeah. of the dialogue between the apostles and our Lord. So, no, I think I, that, that, that that was her takeaway means that she's having to think about these ideas. And she's, and and seriously, she's, yeah. and she's learning that, you know, the Catholic faith is an unchanging faith. You know, it, yes. it's, it's, it, it's, it's 2000 years of steady, you know, steady faith, you know, you know, where the, the faith just doesn't go with the ebbs and flow of what's popular at the time, you know, and whether yeah. you're liberal, whether you're conservative, whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, something about the Catholic church is going to challenge you mm -hmm. to rethink the way you thought about something. I don't care what it is. There's something out there that you're, yep. Jesus hates all the people I hate and he likes all the people I like. And that, that's just you making God in your own image. That's not, you know, yeah. and then you, and then when you're uh, exposed to the actual Catholic teaching, there are going to be times when everybody will say, Oh, that's going to be hard. Um, yeah. you know, and you, so the fact that that was her takeaway means that I think you've successfully communicated the idea is what it sounds yeah. like to me. Right. And another thing is one of the, another story that you had mentioned in the, the book treasures visible and invisible, um, I, I think you mentioned it. I have a story called Lucky and Blessed in there. So eight of us Catholic authors worked on this book together. Uh, Catholic Teen Books is our group. And it's set during 1540, during the time of King Henry VIII, and the disillusion of the monasteries and how this young man is studying in the monastery. It's destroyed. He's homeless. And uh, a young girl is also being called to the court of King Henry VIII. And it's interesting to me because it's one of the saddest times in the history of the church is that when king henry the eighth basically destroyed you know tried to destroy it or created his own church or whatever and it's it's interesting to me because some other um religions actually celebrate that day <laughs> and i'm like yeah. Yeah. that's like the saddest day of the year it's like <laughs> if the church hadn't been destroyed can you imagine the beauty, the power, the majesty, everything we'd have in this day and age, if, if we'd all be one faith, all be the faith that Christ started when he was here on earth, right? Yeah. Well, so, you yeah. know, I, I, I was starting to read a book. Uh, he's a fraternity priest. Of, uh, what's his last name? Father DeMallory, I believe. He, you know, he, he's writing a book. Uh, Sophia Press has put it out. It's about... Uh, uh, Eucharistic love and he and in the beginning of that book I, I don't want to give too much on his book but he talks about an old monastery and whatnot that basically after the Reformation and all that is the you know it, it's down to rubble you know people were playing throwing frisbees and all this and but at one time this was a big beautiful monastery where where you had monks serving God but after you know King Henry did what he did and whatnot all that stuff ended up getting getting destroyed like it did through much of Europe, all of England, pretty much. And right, right. Yeah, which, I know. Oh, I was going to say, it's even like in Ireland. My family's from Ireland, and um, so my father's a first-generation um, Irish-American. 
and we were back, we were in Ireland a few years ago and it just, the destruction is still there. It's amazing how many churches were destroyed and a lot of things that were destroyed with the churches. It's not only the physical building, it was all the records because we can go, we can trace my history back to the time of um, like William the Conqueror. Uh, My main name is Purcell and he was apparently a, a general or something with that, that gentleman. And, but in between so many records were lost because they were destroyed during this, the whole reformation and all that. And so it jumps from like 1066 up to like the late 1800s is where it kind of picks up again. So I don't know that we'll ever be able to trace our roots back very far because of that too. Well, you, you're in good company because both Jason and I um, trace our lineage back to the same sunny Island uh, where people I, ironically don't tan very well. Um, <laughs> and that's so, yeah. so, yeah. so when you mentioned, so when you mentioned Scotland in 1690, I, I immediately started to twitch. I was like, Oh, here we go. You know, I, um, but uh, yeah, so you're in good company uh, amongst, amongst the Irish people here, but leading to destruction of monasteries and destructions of things um, it led me to my next topic, which was you wrote a book called anything but groovy. And I thought, did, did she write a book about the Nova Sordo Mise? Is that, is that what this is about? And, and so, and uh, it was not about that, but I thought, no, no. I thought you, I thought you, man, what a great title uh, for, you know, for like the history of the gather hymnal, anything but groovy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> tell us a little bit about anything but groovy, because I did look about, I did look into it and I was like, okay, it's not what I thought, but it's still kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah. So basically, it's a young modern girl, 13 years old. She's in seventh grade, getting ready for her first day of school. The night before school starts, she and she she lives in the home that her, her mom had been raised in, lives in the town her mom always had grown up in, goes to the same little Catholic school her mom went to. Um, and she's playing volleyball the night before school starts, and she gets knocked in the head, and she wakes up in the morning in her bed. Everything seems normal until she kind of opens her eyes and looks around and realizes, like, Something is weird about the bedroom. And then she looks at herself and realizes she's in her mom's body in 1974 (laughs) when her mom was 13 years old in seventh grade. And so she has to live an entire school year as her mom. And things get very complicated because she does, she never knows if she's going to go back to her normal life in the blink of an eye, or if this is her forever thing, or just she's being punished for something. She has no idea why she's here. Um, so it's kind of, it's interesting for her because she, she doesn't want to mess anything up. So she's trying to negotiate, figure out who her mom's friends were. And, and the thing that makes life very complicated is the biggest jock in the school who's in her class seems to hate her. She has no idea. Like, did, did, was there some bad blood between this guy and my mom? And he makes it his life's work to bully her. And she, she's gets to the point where she's just like literally sick about it. And, um, the, the story, the interesting thing, I guess maybe people will think it's interesting, but, um, this is actually based on my true life, my seventh grade life. No, I didn't try time travel, but we did the time. We turned it into a time travel book at the suggestion of some other writers, um, to draw in young people today rather than make it like a memoir or something like that. And so, so this young lady has to go through everything basically I did back in seventh grade and it wasn't easy, but you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. Right. Um, So, but kind of her, her dilemma is that she knows some of the people that she went to school with that her mom went to school with 
are still live in the city they live in in this day and age. And so she knows their fate to some degree. Mm. And so she doesn't want to mess things up and mention things. She doesn't want to do an intervention. But uh, it's such a, a fine line she's walking. She's trying to make sure she recreates and does the things she remembers kind of that her mom went through, but doesn't want to mess anything up. And it, it's interesting. I mean, there's humor in that. There's some sad times. There's some hard times. The bullying isn't easy. Um, but it's a redemptive story, you know, because things she hangs on to her faith and things do get better. And it's a story that would probably be helpful to any middle schooler who's being bullied that like things can turn around in the blink of an eye. And that's literally what happened in this book and in my life too. So, yeah. And it's probably a good story to teach young kids about redemptive suffering too. Right. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, offer, offer these things up because like you said, it does get better because we've all been there. I I know you said it was based on you and you were probably feeling the same way tough times in my life when I was a kid, probably Mark, same way. You just don't think this is ever going to end. And then Mm -hmm. 10 years later, you look back and you're like, well, it was bad, but it wasn't long. But at that time, and you know, talking to kids, you know, my kids today, when they're going through stuff that's hurting them or, or, or things they don't like you, you know, you try to pass that message of, you know, from a, from a religious aspect of redemptive suffering, but it's hard to get that message across to a young mind, exactly what that entails. Right. Right. Jason, Jason still bullies me on the show. Um, And and a lot of people pretend like they don't see it, but you know, I gotta be honest with you. This stuff is recorded, Jason, and we put this all on YouTube. So people know. All I I know is you're a lawyer. So this whole conversation was was about you. Okay. Just so you know, but it, but it also, the idea that anything but groovy, you know, we all have a tendency, I think, and, and, you know, I'm an adult now, we're all adults on this, on this show that to romanticize our past. Yes. At least, at least chronologically, (laughs) we are adults mentally and, and whether or not our sense of humor is caught up is another thing, but we have a tendency to like romanticize our time as in adolescence. And I remember just the other day telling somebody, uh, a 90s pop song came on and it was very upbeat and it was very catchy. And I, I remember telling them the 90s really were that great. <laughs> but, you know, they probably they they probably weren't. They they There were challenges and, oh, yeah. and, and things to go through. But and so, you know, with with young people, there can kind of be this animosity of, well, my parents had it easy and 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 my life is the one that oh. that's hard. Yeah. But it's if you had to live a day in your parents' shoes as an adolescent and you wake up and you go to check Facebook and there ain't no Facebook. Also, (laughs) there's no phone to check Facebook on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You yeah. don't even know who's on the phone till you answer the <laughs> phone. You about to say. So, uh, you know, you know, I thought that was very interesting. And it was a really clever, the time travel kind of thing is a really clever plot device that, I mean, I don't, I, I can't think of stuff like that. I don't, I'm not that creative. And so I think it's really, um, it's, it, it's when I meet somebody who does that and who has that talent, it's pretty special. And I'm kind of in awe of that. Um, so now I want to talk also about treasures visible and invisible. Now, uh, this is probably one of the most interesting things that uh, of all your titles, I looked at this one and I was like, okay, this one probably it's got Patrick right there on the cover. It's got the shamrock. I, okay. You're hitting all the notes. Tell us a little bit about treasures visible and invisible. 
Yeah, I had slightly referenced it before, but Treasures is a collaboration between eight teen Catholic authors. Or, okay. well, we're not teenagers, we write for teens. So <laughs> Catholic Teen Books is the organization we belong to. Eight of us collaborated on it. And the story is about a relic that St. Patrick found during his lifetime. It was a piece of stone that was shaped like a shamrock. And this, this relic travels through the centuries. And so each of us writers picked a century and we told a story about how that shamrock got to that place wow. and how it affected the people who found it. And so, like I was saying, my story picks up in the year 1540 during the dissolution of the monasteries, the Reformation, King Henry VIII, this young man and this young woman. The young man, when they when they destroyed the monastery, he found the relic had been stored at that monastery in England. And they he ends up sharing it with this young lady. And it's only a short story, but it's actually going, there's going to be a full length story about it. Not sure when I'm going to start writing it because I have several other things on the docket ahead of it. But it's a really neat, the the whole collaborative effort was really neat because I picked it up from another writer. So his story had to end where my story, so the connection could be made. And it goes not only from the time of St. Patrick, it goes all the way into the far future, futuristic. Because wow. um, some of the writers in our group write that that genre. Um, the, the the people who are the writers in the Catholic Teen Books and Catholic Writers Guild, we write everything under the sun, but we all kind of work with the same guidelines. So because we want to have our books to, one of the biggest honors is to get the Catholic Writers Guild seal, seal of approval. And we want that seal of approval. So we we follow the gu- guidelines and we make sure like most of my books, I will have priests read them just to make sure that I'm saying everything correctly and I've got all my facts straight, which is actually great because a priest that I know, he actually t- says that I'm his favorite Catholic author, <laughs> like what? fiction author, not, not, you know, traditional, but fiction. I, and I'm always like, that's a pretty huge compliment. That is a huge compliment. Yeah. And that's, and that's very prudent on, on your end because it shows the, the care that you have in making sure that you're transmitting what you're saying about the faith correctly. That's a, to me, mm-hmm. that, sh- that shows some, some very good wisdom that uh, not, not, not a lot of people have. Cause right. Cause we all rush things out. You know, me and Mark on here, sometimes we'll say stuff without necessarily thinking it through. That's why we're always give the caveat when people listen to our show. If we say anything wrong, defer to the magisterium of the Catholic Church, not us. Because because no. we, we don't always necessarily have that prudence like we should. So, uh, you know, it gives me confidence as a parent, my daughter and, you know, maybe later my sons, if, if they pick up the books and read them as well, you've taken the time to make sure, hey, I don't have to worry about correcting an error that they were taught in a book, you know, that I told them, hey, this is this is this is a book you should read. Right. And it's not only like a priest who read, um, even the Bishop of our diocese, he has all my books. I always make sure he has a Crozier mass once a year. I always bring him my newest books. I sign them for him and he's a big fan. So yeah, I, I, and uh, a lot of religious uh, women too. Well, my principal, so she's retired now, but I make sure she gets copies for their library and my husband's aunt is a, a religious sister, so she gets copy. And then my favorite teacher from seventh and eighth grade, um, she's retired as well, but she's a religious sister. 
Um, they're all with the same order in Manitowoc. And uh, so they all get copies of my books every time I have one out. And they're, they're kind of big fans too. <laughs> I, I, it is so important. I think, I mean, a priest one time in confession told me um, that every generation has struggled with, you know, um, you know, consuming media that is not good for the soul, shall we say. But he mm-hmm. told me out of all the generations in the world that have struggled with this, yours is going to have the toughest fight because yeah. it's everywhere. You oh can't turn, gosh. you can't turn on the new, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't watch the news anymore. And it's oh, so, it's so wonderful to be able to, cur- to, that there's still somebody who believes in the, in the, the, the virtue of curling up with a good book. Mm-hmm. and getting lost in a story that is more than just a story, more, more than just a story about fictitious people, but um, very real virtues and very real uh, tests of faith that you will encounter in your life. And if you can see and sort of flesh out how these fictitious characters will, will navigate these issues that to a young person could be very, very beneficial. Um, I mean, do you, do you agree with, with that? I mean, is there something there? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was, I was like thinking as you were speaking, uh, you know, about the movies and all the things now, I, I have a dream of bringing this civil war series to the the big screen, whether it's a movie or a, a limited run series on one of the streaming channels and by chance, some very ma- big studios have approached me. I haven't approached any because I went. Interesting. Awesome. And I know, right? Um, but here's the thing I have said since day one. You know, I, I I pray to God every day. I say, if if you want this to happen, just show me a little stepping stone today. I don't have to have the whole thing. Just show me a little step so I know I'm going in the right direction. If this isn't supposed to happen, throw a huge roadblock up so it doesn't happen. So we've just, even today, I just was in contact with probably, it's probably one of the top five biggest studios in the nation. And um, we'll see where that goes. Hopefully setting up a Zoom call with their, the big wigs there. Um, but the one thing I, I have said from day one is I'm not going to sell my soul to have a movie made. Here, here. I'm not going to cross that line. And it seems like even even movies that are out that are made on Christian books right now, they still have to cross that line. They say, oh, everybody wants that or they want that, you know, stuff. And I don't want that. And I, I just pray that that God will ha- let this happen and it will still be for his greater glory and, and a project that I'd be proud to have my kids and my grandkids watching and not be embarrassed. And so I just, we'll see where it, where it goes. If the right people you know, offer me a contract and it's meant to be, it's, it's going to happen, but I'm ready. I would be willing to walk away from the whole thing if I can't have it done in a way that feels moral to me and aligns with my values. Yeah. So, we, you, you have, yeah. you, you answer to bigger people than studio executives and we, yeah. and I, and I do too. And you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. um, I'm, I'm reminded there's a, there's a Vatican intermirifica, inter, which was one of the documents of the Second Vatican Council on uh, on social communications, and it was written by Paul the Sixth, and and he says uh, to instill a fully Christian spirit into readers, a truly Catholic press should be set up and encouraged, and such a wide 
whether immediately fostered and directed by ecclesiastical authorities or by Catholic laypeople, should be edited with the clear purpose of forming, supporting, and advancing public opinion in accord with natural law and Catholic teachings and precepts. It should disseminate. Pro- it should disseminate and properly explain news concerning the life of the Church. Moreover, the faithful ought to be advised of the necessity both to spread and read the Catholic press to formulate Christian judgments for themselves on all events. I mean that that's that's essentially what you've just said is yeah. what you're doing, and so um, you have a mandate from the church to 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 continue in your work. And um, I know that Jason and I are going to be adding that intention uh, for a, a possible film series. We're going to be yeah. adding that to our rosary oh uh, intentions as well. Definitely, you. and I you know appreciate that. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, 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 is you talk about you're not going to sell yourself, sell your faith just to have a movie because it is kind of disappointing today. You'll see some Catholic films, even with Catholic uh, actors or actresses on there, and they're doing things that, in my opinion, it, it shouldn't be done if, you know, uh, to, to promote the faith or 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 whatnot, because, you know, there's films out where they're, they use uh, God's name in vain. They, they curse and all that. And I know that they're trying to get a, a point across, but to me, there's also a line that you draw. Okay. I understand that maybe this person acted this way or did this thing, you know, did these things. But like you mentioned earlier, you don't need to spell it out word by word for people for them to get the picture of what's actually going right. on so yeah I, I i for me i really like the you know that that you're willing to stand firm to say okay i'm going to do this for the greater glory for god for one and two i'm not going to sell myself out sell my faith out just to get the book because i'm nobody's judge but i feel like too many people in the catholic media do that do that and then of course, it it hurts us in our evangelization efforts with our friends and families because they say, well, so-and-so's a Catholic. Look how they're acting. And how yeah. can you justify, oh, well, it's just a movie. Well, they're saying those things. They're doing those things. Yeah. So it makes it harder for us to say, no, well, that doesn't represent the Catholic faith. Yeah. Well, you, you know? could extrapolate that out and talk about politicians who are oh, absolutely. Catholic in name only, I guess you would say, because they – say they're Catholic, but it's like they certainly aren't following the Catholic teaching, which is discouraging. I wish they would not even say they were Catholic because it just smears the Catholic name, I think, because people are like, if that's what Catholic is, I don't want any part of that. I want people to see the joy of being Catholic. That's what I try to do in my life. And I'm trying to set a good example and to show people what a beautiful faith this is. And it's actually better if you follow the rules because they were set up for a reason and they all have meaning. They weren't just, you know, random things thrown out there. So, yeah. Who are some of, who are, I was going to ask you in terms of Catholic authorship that, that you've read over the years, who are some of your inspirations? And I'm, and I'm, and I mean, in terms of, uh, of authors that have disseminated their faith through fiction because right? there's a lot of great nonfiction authors out right. there, and maybe too many to name. But who are some of your inspirations that 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 you look back on as being people that really formed yeah. the way you approach the well, idea of Catholic you, fiction? To tell you the truth, when I wrote my book, I didn't know there was such a thing as Catholic fiction. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't know there was a genre. I hadn't read any Catholic fiction. I wasn't aware it was out there. Um, but since joining the Catholic Writers Guild, these authors that I work with are unbelievable. I mean, you hate to start naming names because you're going to forget somebody. I have all their, their books are all on the shelf behind me. But like my, my editor, Ellen Gable, I love her book. She writes, she has a whole series about World War I. Um, my friend Leslie Wall writes these uh, teen, teen books that I just, I just adore. They're so fun. Um, Carolyn Asfalk. Oh my gosh. I, like I said, now I'm not going to remember. If I turned around, I could literally lead, read you all the, the titles behind me because those are my favorite books. Were you, a were, you, were you a Chesterton fan? No, to not to say I don't like, like him or anything, yeah. but I just hadn't really read his stuff. You if know? you ever, if you ever get a chance to read the father Brown mysteries, um, well, I'd heard of, I've heard of them for sure. Yeah. And, and, he, and there's an excellent BBC television series dramatization of these mysteries, great Catholic media for consumption by all, I, I, all my trad men listeners, you're not going to get any bad stuff, uh, in, in either the books or the films, but he does exactly what, what, what you're doing, which is it's a dramatization with fictitious characters. They're solving a murder mystery, but in the process they're, they're exploring uh, ideas about faith and philosophy from a uniquely Catholic perspective. Yeah. And, it, and it's just a very interesting thing. So if you ever get a chance, check out uh, GK Chesterton's father Brown mysteries. I really enjoy yeah. those. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. You know, I, I wanted to make a, a comic as Mark earlier kind of sped sped past before I got a chance, but, but it's, but it's, but it's, still he's on bullying my mind. me again. He's bullying me again. Everybody take a look, <laughs> but it's still on my mind, you know, going back to your, your civil war historical fiction, I find it. And you mentioned how they, the editors at the time were trying to tell you, well, maybe not include your Catholic faith. Cause they were surprised that there were Catholics living in, in America, particularly the American South at the time. Right. Yeah. And Irish Catholics, let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. So um, I find it interesting that there is a Catholic historical fiction set in the Civil War era in the U.S. because we know during that time, for one, there wasn't a lot because this is overall a Protestant nation historically, right? Two, the Catholics uh, at that time, because M Mark knows what I'm talking about, we have a lecture at our Knights of Columbus, who's a history professor, and we actually went through for a while. We did a, he did a series at each meeting on um, discrimination against Catholics in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and I and I remember during that time him even talking about it about yep. the discrimination that Catholics have historically faced in this country, and you know I, I guess in recent decades maybe it's not as bad. Looks like it could pick back up here with, with everything that's going back on. But I, I know, I know when I first uh, came across your book, that was one thing that really stood out to me. I was like, uh, historical fiction in the Civil War about the Catholic faith. That's that's the that's something you don't see every day. Yeah, and I should mention too. I mean, some of these, uh, a lot of history and real people are woven into these books. But one is uh, Father Thomas O'Reilly from Atlanta. And you'll probably never hear this story in normal places, but he is the one that actually had the talk with, with General Sherman and said, if you burn one Catholic church in this city, you know, that they had a cathedral, if you burn this church, because he was burning his way to the Gulf of Mexico, he said, every Catholic 
on both sides, north and south, they're deserting. They're done. And so Sherman actually made a deal with him that he would not burn anything wow. on the inner square of the city of Atlanta. So not only were the Catholic churches saved, but all the other churches and their courthouse were all saved too by this very, very brave Catholic priest. And he actually not only did that, but he he went into the battlefields on both sides into the, the tents where they were doing surgeries and stuff, and he would help both sides. And so, yeah, people just don't really hear the stories about these people. So it's kind of my job. I just, well, well, the Catholic, I just thought the of Catholic, the Catholic Church is full of fascinating stories and heroic individuals. It's like you'll never have enough time in one lifetime to come across. Oh, yeah. The 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 beauty and her uh, heroic actions of men and women in the Catholic Church. Oh, yeah. I just thought of an example of historical fiction about a group of Irish Catholics in the Civil War. Gone with the wind. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no, Remember when funny. they're all sitting in the parlor praying their rosary and before I know, the war it's, breaks out? It's funny. We oh, literally yeah, just rewatched that movie. Like I think it was last year, and I had totally forgotten that part where they're all yeah. literally, yeah, they're saying the rosary. In that the and of the movie. The, how did the, how did Mark pull that out? The Union. Just let me now. tell you something. The <laughs> Union. The 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 Federal Army's basic plan from 1862 to about 1864 was to run the Confederates out of bullets by just throwing Irish bodies. Oh at gosh. Them, okay. So the idea that Catholicism didn't have anything to do with the civil war, um, uh. when, because the union won the war was you're welcome. Uh, they basically, they would get off the boat in New York and they would be told that, uh, part of a condition of your citizenship is fighting for your country. So they'd get off the boat in New York, They'd get handed their rifle. They'd get back on a boat to Charleston. And then on the other side of the dock is them getting back off the boat again as corpses. You know, oh, um, gosh. yeah, uh, 700,000 Americans died in that war. 10% of the male population of the country. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's, it's so crazy. And that's why you look at the world in this day and age in the United States and like, oh, my gosh, people, sometimes you think we're on the, the edge of a civil war because there's some profit to it. Because I think if you look at people, we have way more in common, everybody in the United States than we have opposite. I always tell people I could have a cup of coffee with just about anybody on this planet. And I'd probably find something that we had in common and we could chat about, but there's some reason that people are driving that wedge between people in this country to create that animosity, to fuel the fire, to make people mad at each other and angry all the time and scared and all this stuff. I, you know, somebody it's artificial. Somebody's doing it. And I don't know oh, why, but I, oh, I, well, I'm assuming no. it's for money. There's money to be made in war. I understand that. It's unfortunate that that's how it goes, but I want people to read these books and learn from them that it's, there's a better way. We just need yeah. to find that common ground and, get rid of that noise around us. It's telling us that we're all different. We're all this and we're all that and find that common ground. If we're here, we're Americans. Let's, let's use that to start. So a, a recent blog post that I, I wrote for trad men, which, which contrasted our, our current situation with the way Americans felt during the time of the civil war. And, you know, and it's just, it's, it's one aspect of it, It's one way to look at it. It's not the only way to look at it, but it, um, it, it, I did see the similarities. And so there, there, there are lessons that are, 
that are valid to be drawn from that. I, I, like I've often said the, the great historian Shelby Foote once said that the Civil War defined us. And I take exception to that by saying that the Civil War defines us. It continues to define us. Um, it, it, it makes it made the American, you know, the American Revolution separated us from Great Britain. But the type of nation that we were going to become, that was decided uh, during the politics of the 1860s. And, and I oh, think a lot changed after that. Yeah, I think I think all American politics is a continuation of the politics of the 1860s, the politics mm-hmm. of the Civil War. And it's it's sometimes horrifying what Americans don't know about that war. And 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 you can't like you can't know it all because there's so like it's there's yeah. so many great stories and and interesting little side stories about people that yep. came from that war. But I loved that you picked that as as the backdrop of this series, because I thought, man, there's so many great moral there's so many great moral extrapolations that you can make from that period in yeah, American history. For sure. Know? For sure. And I should mention book five is on the docket. I've just, just literally yesterday typed the first words. Outstanding. Book five. <laughs> Outstanding. I hope how you'll many, come, hope how you'll come many, back on the show and talk about it with us. Yeah. How many books do you plan to have on that series? I'm not sure. This could be the last one in this particular civil war series because um, I have numerous things on the agenda, so I'm debating if I if I do Civil War again, I might pick a whole different group of people to do it. We'll see, but you never know. I, you know, God gives me this inspiration, and like I said, the Blessed Mother. I have a statue here. If I keep pointing to her, she's standing next <laughs> to me. Um, I feel like she, like she, she just helps me, helps me, and I pray to her a lot and ask for inspiration and ask for her prayers to, you know, keep me going and go in the right direction and do what God wants me to do with my life and my writing career. Can't have more powerful, pr- somebody, uh, a more powerful prayer than that praying for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, AmandaLauer.com. That's A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A-U-E-R.com. And we're going to have links in the description I want everybody who's got kids, if you don't have any kids, but you just like to read uh, cool books and you like to curl up with a good book, you're somebody who still finds value in that, go check out uh, this woman's work. I, I mean, I just, I'm very excited and I think that you're doing a lot of, you're bringing the faith, I think, to a lot of people who may not otherwise have encountered some of these these Mm -hmm. uh, theological and philosophical ideas and we don't know in our lifetimes how all that bears out but what a great grace at the end of time for you for our lord to show you all of the ways in which your little books helped somebody or brought somebody to the faith or helped them approach a moral or, or, you know, ethical conundrum of some type and how to look at it in an authentically Catholic way. And I just, I'm very excited for you and what you're doing. I really hope you'll come back on the show and, oh, yeah. uh, and talk about your new books with us. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I'll have three new ones out next year because I'm in the process of working. Some are already at the editors and publishers and some are in process, but always working, going to keep doing this. Um, this is what I can foresee doing the rest of my life. Um, I do write for a Catholic newspaper and I write for two business newspapers that happen to be Catholic owned. Um, so I do that too, but really my heart lies with, 
with the books because I just feel like this is touching so many lives. I get um, the feedback I get from people is just, it's so heartening. Yeah. So I really, I have to thank you guys for, you know, having me on and introduce me to your your friends. No, no, it's, it's been a, it's definitely been an enjoyable conversation um, tonight. Uh, Before you do go, I do kind of want to, Mark didn't bring up one of your writings and it's kind of off topic, but I think it'll be an interesting story. I don't know if Mark's heard it before. So Mark, we share a mutual friend with Amanda Trevor at Tridentine Brewery. She yes. actually wrote it. I was just about him. to bring up Trevor. How yeah. interesting. She, yeah, she wrote an article on his family's brewery. And it's an interesting story about how you even met him, what event you met him at. So I, I thought I would let you share that story. Oh, please with do. Any listeners. Thank you. Please do. Yeah. So I'll try to make a long story brief. So about two years ago, uh, a friend of mine was telling, said something on Twitter like, oh my gosh, an archduke, his daughter's reading my books. You know, she's a teenager. I'm like, I got to figure out how to get in touch. I don't know any archdukes, right? <laughs> I got to get in touch Same with here. this guy. And like say, how can I, and a great Catholic, I'll tell you that. He's the ambassador to the Holy See um, for Hungary. And so um, I introduced my, myself to him through Twitter. And I said, I will send your daughter every book that I've written. And he's like, oh no, I need, I want to support Catholic authors because he's an author himself. And so he ended up buying all my books for her and she is one of my biggest fans. And so when um, I heard that Archduke Edward Habsburg was going to be in the United States last October 21st, um, because Blessed Carl, it was his feast day. And there's a shrine in Washington, D.C. where he was going to be speaking. And so my husband and I actually met with him the day before. We went to the Hungarian embassy and I brought along 14 books from 14 different Catholic teen authors uh, to give to his, his daughters. And we took him out for, for lunch. It was the most, it was so much fun because he's like, I want American food, you know? And so he wanted to try Buffalo chicken wings or okay. Buffalo chicken <laughs> Sure, sure. So we found this cute little restaurant right, right downtown Washington, D.C. within, you know, you could see the Capitol from where we we're sitting. And um, so then the next day we went to that, that mass. It was my first Latin mass, believe it or not. And um, it was, it was so beautiful and so touching. I just absolutely loved it. And by chance, another person who has my books was at the mass with him, another ambassador, um, Calista Ginrich. And so she and I traded books. So I gave her all my books because she grew up in Wisconsin too. So, and then she gave me a whole set of children's books that she had written and so after the mass, uh, Edward gave us a talk in this church basement area. And that's where the Trident Team Brewery people were because they were supplying all the beer because it was Blessed Carl beer. And so that's where I first first met Trevor. And I ended up writing a story for Catholic News Service about uh, about Edward and his, his ancestor who was going to be... He, we're, we're praying that he'll become a saint, blessed Carl, and his wife, Zita. We also are praying that she'll become a saint, too, because she's in the process as well. But then after um, meeting Trevor there, I thought, you know what? This is such a cool, such a cool business that he has where he's making these like saint themed beers. 
And so I got in touch with him and asked if he would be okay with me writing an article for him for the Catholic News Service as well. And he agreed. And um, we spent some time on the phone. It was great. And he's in Chicago, the Chicago area, which isn't too far from us. So we may actually connect this summer because the Catholic Marketing Network and Catholic Writers Guild has a huge convention in Schaumburg the last week of July. So I'm hoping we can connect there and say hi again. Um, but he's he's just a great guy. Oh, my gosh. I oh, love yeah. following him on Twitter. He's always got very insightful things. He's, he's such a, oh my gosh, he's on fire for the Catholic faith. So the, he's, uh, Oh yeah, we have a lot of respect for Trevor and his family, and we're definitely big fans of, of what he's doing as well. Um, and Mark, I, I'm assuming you could uh, put a link also in the description of the, of the article she Oh, for sure, she, yeah. She wrote for on Tridentine Brewery. Definitely yeah. will, and yeah, I was and just thinking an article link too for the if you do Edward Hobsburg October twenty okay. first, you should be able to find the link to his article too because his his is interesting. You know, to have somebody in your family that's going to be a saint, that's pretty cool. Well, you know, I, I was actually supposed to be in Hungary this week for work, oh. and I'd never been, and I was like, because because I'm a convert to Catholicism back in 2018, okay. so I was kind of like that'd be that'd be a cool country to go to, you know, explore, but. Uh, some other things came up, so I ended up not going. But uh, anyway, when you I, talk- I kept I kept him behind so we could do this, so we could do our <laughs> podcast. I got tired of him being on the road, man. Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm. Someone's got to crack the whip there. I'm 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 tired of being on the road, to be honest. But I'll hungry, bet. hungry, I would have made the exception. Well, I was as yeah. I as you were telling that story about you know, I kept thinking you know one minute you're sitting there thinking I've got this idea that. For 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 a story about a Catholic person in the Civil War, you went from that to having lunch with uh, the 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 ambassador to the Holy See of of Hungary, and I just thought the Holy yeah. Ghost will get you into trouble. Oh get, quick. And, well, it's funny because he's actually like um, when when I was there, everybody addresses him as like Your Royal Highness because like somebody i don't know if it's a great great uncle or whatever was the gentleman who was assassinated that started right. world war one right. so oh, blessed carl's father was uh franz ferdinand i think i'm hoping yeah. i'm getting oh, yeah. that Arch- right. archduke franz ferdinand it there was. you go and so that archduke is related to the archduke i know so yeah it is kind of crazy and my husband always says too as far as like with this uh whether it's going to be a, a movie or whatever he said don't bet against Amanda <laughs> because when she gets something in her mind, she goes yeah. for it all yeah. out. And of course I have, you know, the Holy spirit on my side. I got the blessed mother. I've got Jesus, God, you know, it's all good. I, I've got the right team behind me. So I think I'm in a pretty good spot here. This podcast was basically two guys who were upset about Tradiciones Custodes and wanted to yell about it into the internet. We didn't think anybody was going to listen. We didn't think anybody was going to care. We certainly never thought we'd get guests. We didn't think anybody's <laughs> going to be interested in that. But, you know, and I've said this before on the podcast, the new evangelization is not something that the Pope and the bishops are going to do for us. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, for the most part, they don't even really appear to be particularly that interested in it. So it's going to be up to the lay people. And before you're thinking, well, but I don't have a doctorate in theology. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, a professional catechist. I'm not these things. Go with where your strengths are. If you're if you're a writer, write. If you some of y'all bake better than anybody else, and you and you know how to make these really artistic cakes, and you think, well, that can't be part of the new evangelization. Wrong, wrong. 
God gave you all talents and, and it's up to us to figure out what those talents are and then put them in the hands of Christ so that he can make something great out of it. And I guarantee you, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't have any talent, start praying because God has got bigger plans for you. And you're part of this new evangelization. You're called to be a part of it. And I think we've, one of the things I, that our show I think is always focused on is different ways that average lay people are utilizing their talents to be part of this new evangelization. And Amanda Lauer is, is absolutely part of that. So um, thank you so much for, for coming and being on the show, Jason, I'm going to give you last thoughts here, my friend, because, because you, you've always got the, you've always got the good parting thought. And I, I never do. I never know. How to uh, I, close think, these things out. I think, I think I've got the worst one. Did you, did you hear my uh, uh, pitch on the trivia show the other night? Terrible. What, what was your pitch? It, you- I, it, I can't even repeat it. It was fantastically terrible. <sighs> a- a- Anthony. So, so there's a trivia show. I don't know if you, if you follow online, it's uh so you think, you know, the faith, is from uh, Avoiding Babylon is the web okay. YouTube channel. So roughly every Friday and I think even Wednesday, they do like a Catholic trivia show. Okay. And it's actually a fun show to watch. We've been on it and it's a fun show to participate in because you can even participate in the chat. But uh, we were on it last week and uh, you actually do learn some pretty cool trivia about the Catholic Church, joke around, laugh, and, and whatnot. But at the end of the show, Anthony, the one of the hosts, he says, uh, go ahead and tell us about your podcast. <laughs> and it was, it was just a train wreck, right? And at the end, a train wreck. It wasn't end, a train wreck. And at the end, Anthony's like, I'm not going to lie, that was pretty bad. That was a pretty bad pitch. <laughs> And I said, well, I'm going to get Mark to do it next time. Listen, <laughs> listen, Amanda, if you're open to uh, co-hosting a podcast, we're going to have an opening coming up soon. Okay. We'll, oh, we, can t- we can, we can talk offline. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but, but I do thank you for, for coming on. And I'm, I'm so glad that I happened to come across you on Twitter. Cause like I said, I, I think I may have just seen a comment that you made or somebody made on maybe, uh, Trevor's, uh, uh, page or even a man uh angela erickson because we had her on oh, yeah. a, a week yeah. ago but yes. I, I came across that and i think that same night i looked in her books I, I sent it to my daughter and my daughter wanted to read it and i think we ordered the first book that not that first night and uh like i said i'm so glad i came across you i appreciate you uh taking the time to talk with us and and i and i thank you for your work and, and for what you're doing out there and just keep up the good work and we'll keep you in our prayers Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'll keep you in my prayers too. Thank you. Amanda Lauer, you are a child of God and a daughter of the Holy Church. And we are so thankful that uh, you took some time to come and and spread some joy on our podcast. And uh, don't forget to check out the links below to to links to her work. And we're also going to include a link to her website where you can see all the different titles that she's she's worked on, as well as uh, uh, some articles that we will link to as well. Until next time, Tradmen listeners, take good care of yourselves, take good care of each other. And what do I always say? Life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. God bless everybody. God bless everyone. Mm